So we're, uh, we're continuing on in our study of the book of James, and uh, I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. I'm excited about what God wants to do. I want to um, start off, and we're going to read the passage that we're on this week. And so if you're in a small group, you've been going through this in a study, and they're kind of reflective questions, and um, uh, we're going to unpack a little bit of, um, of these, this, this passage that we have. And so we're in James chapter 2. I'm going to read... Um, the passage that we're in, verses 14 through 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. If not, you can, you can follow along on the screen. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister without, is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs... What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish man. Do you, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that, this, that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and, and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know, this is a, uh, this is a fascinating passage. I think that this is a passage that is easy to look at and to read and be like, mm, okay, got it, pretty clear. That's one of the great things about James. James doesn't mince words. He's like, look, faith without deeds is dead. Where's Aaron? We can sing a song and, um, and go home. Speaks pretty clearly for itself. But there's so much more that I think God has in store for us this morning than to just, just look at this passage and, and hear that faith without deeds is dead and accept that as something that we believe to be true and then go on about our lives. I love the I love the reality of what James is writing in this. He's he's writing. Have you ever been in a in a scenario or situation like imagine that you were an you were an athlete, right? And you know Barry over here is a quarterbacks coach over at Altoona High School, right? And and so he's responsible for working with those quarterbacks. And so if if Barry comes up to 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 his quarterbacks and pulls his guys aside, Barry, how many quarterbacks do you have on your team? How many guys do you work with? Five different quarterbacks. So when he has a quarterbacks meeting, there are five guys that come together, right? And so when he's giving them instruction and he's looking at film with them of what they did in practice or maybe what, what took place in the game, he's looking at that with them and he's coaching them up and he's telling them, look, now you made this mistake here and you didn't read the safety coming over the top and you threw it right back into coverage and you're lucky that you didn't get a, a pick for six, Right. And, and so that's what, that's what a coach is doing, and, and a student, a quarterback who wants to win the next game, is, is just 
desiring to be coached and desiring to be challenged and desiring to be corrected by things that Barry, who has a lot of experience coaching quarterbacks, wants to be able to hear from this coach because they want to win the next game and they want to they will win the next game, not just so that they can be a hero. They want to win the next game because our whole team is working hard pursuing this thing. Right. And so when Barry speaks, these guys are listening. And when Barry's correcting, these guys are eager to hear what he has to say because they're not looking to find a fence. They're looking to find find improvement so they can be better. Different person in a different scenario. Maybe it could be you at work. I think every one of us have had had one of these moments where someone came into your office or someone pulled you aside and they just gave you a corrective word. And it was it just felt like judgment. It felt like something that you just were being belittled for. And you're you're. Step back and you can't figure out what in the world's going on. Why is this person correcting me? Right. And it's just from this place of, well, I don't even know if they're right. I don't know that I'm need to be corrected right now. It just kind of sent me in a tailspin. Right. It's the same word I'm using in both of those scenarios that there's a challenge and there's a correction. Right. And so we have to be able to look at and recognize when there is this value that comes with a challenge and a correction. Because ultimately, we want to be like the quarterbacks in that meeting where we're desiring to be challenged and we're desiring to be corrected from the things that we have or the things that we're dealing with, because then there's a positive outcome that can take place. Now, how many of you know that the Lord desires to challenge and lead you to correction? Right. And so we have to recognize that this word is is good. It is it is valuable for bringing about correction in our life. And we absolutely have to recognize in the context of this text that we just read that that's what James is doing, because James is fired up in this moment. James is like is 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 like Barry when when the quarterback threw a pick and got intercepted because he didn't read the safety. We talked about this last week and you made the same mistake again. Right. He's he's looking at here's the brother of of Jesus who who is the head over the the church. And he's he's hearing about a group of people. And here's a moment of correction. Like, I mean, we've gone through chapter one and there are things, there are instructions that James is giving to the church and there are things that he's addressing. But as we move into chapter two and and as you heard from Steve last week, that there was this there was this perception of there being favoritism among this group of people. Right. And so this favoritism was being addressed. And and James comes alongside and gives instruction and gives teaching about how we shouldn't be. Showing favoritism or partiality, right? We shouldn't be segregating people in the way that, that men's minds do that, right? But then as we move into the passages that as we get into verse 14, we start to see the tone of what James is speaking start to elevate. You ever been in one of those conversations where as you're getting further into the conversation and there's a point of correction that the tone starts to go up? Because you got to recognize when James is speaking and he says, you foolish man. Right. Is James trying to be belittling to the people that he's speaking to? Just imagine if this was Jesus speaking. Right. Did Jesus ever correct? Did Jesus ever, ever confront? Did Jesus ever challenge? I mean, for heaven's sakes, he flipped over tables in the in the temple and he said, you know, you've turned this into a den of robbers. My house is to be a house of prayer. Right. It was a movement. It was a challenge. It was a challenge and correction for it to be healthy 
and to be what it was intended to be, right? And you've got to recognize whenever Scripture is bringing about a challenge or a correction, it is about a loving, moving response to move you from where you are not as healthy as you could be to a place that it could be more healthy. And that should be the case in every one of our lives, in our interaction with the Word and in our action with one another. That ideally that the body is coming together. And if you're in a small group, that this ideally this is growing to, to happen in your small group, that you're building trust with one another. And there's a place for you to challenge and to speak into one another's lives because that's healthy to grow, to be mature. Not that you're coming to challenge one another because you want to be a, in judgment over another person. Or to be in judgment over a scenario, but that you're encouraging the bro- your brother or sister toward something that is good for them and something that the Lord has in store for them, right? And so, depending on how we hear that word, greatly depends on the relationship we have and the humility in our heart of whether or not we're like a quarterback in a room desiring to be corrected in order to get better, or whether we find ourselves in a tailspin in a fence. And so what I want you to hear as we dive into and look at this passage, we have to condition a heart to recognize that, that James is getting fired up here. But he's fired up because he loves these people that he's speaking to. And he loves the church and he loves who Christ died for the church to be. And he, he has this moment of seeing something that's out of place that doesn't look like my brother, my Lord's heart. And so it's a point of correction. And it's a point of coaching. And it's a challenge to the reader. And so you and I have to be challenged by that. We have to read this as though it's being written to us. And we have to hear the challenge in it. And we have to lead our heart to be humble in hearing this truth so that we can receive from it and become better. Because this word is for every one of us. I don't care how noble, how good, how righteous you are, how much of a servant you are. This word is for every one of us. There is more that God wants to do in every one of our hearts. To be more like Christ. And that's the, that's the reality of what we're diving to in this, in this challenge. You see, Jesus challenged the rich young ruler. Was, it, was his intent to run the rich young ruler off? No, his, his intent was to speak to the core of the rich young ruler's heart and to call him to something more if his heart would get on board with that. Because Jesus saw what was in the man's heart and he invited it to come forward. And so the same thing is happening as we as we look at God's God's word and his truth. This same thing should be happening for you and I, that we should be looking and hungry to receive this challenge and find something within us that could be corrected so that we can grow in a, in a to a greater place of maturity. And Jesus could be more Lord of our life. And that's what we're diving into this morning. Jesus turned over the tables Jesus said to Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan, right? For you do not have in mind the things of God, but instead the things of man. It was a challenge. It was a correction. But think about what Jesus said the correction should be. That you're thinking in accordance with what man would think. And I'm coaching you and teaching you in this moment that ultimately your mind should be fixed on how God would What God's desires are here, not what the world's desires would be, right? What is this challenge for us when we look at what good is it, brothers, if you if if a man claims that he has faith but has no deeds? What good is that to anybody if you claim to have faith but there's no action and no deed expressing that faith for the goodness of those around you? 
Now, I've just set all that up to give you a moment of pause and for you to wrestle with and for you to open your heart and say, Lord, is there some way that I'm hanging my hat on believing that I'm a person of faith, but I'm not acting fully in who you would have me be? And if the Lord just brought something to your mind, then the opportunity that you have from this week is to take a step toward opening your heart and leading, letting him lead you to a place of change, a correction, a place where there's something more valuable that came from that moment of of challenge than what existed before it took place. And that's the opportunity that we have in in. In looking at this word, you say this this word that, that comes and can sound harsh and corrective is an awesome invitation to be a person whose life is bearing a greater fruit. And that's his whole intent. That's that's the that's the intent that that James is speaking and and giving this wisdom lesson as he does that that, you know, as I look at James chapter two, it's just so much of James chapter two is a commentary on Jesus teaching in the Sermon of the Mount. It's a commentary on Jesus summary of the Torah that it's about the great commandment to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and to love your neighbors yourself. That this is James commentary on the reality of who he sees Jesus to be and the wisdom of Jesus, because he's hearing about people that are saying that they believe in Jesus Christ, but there's not an authentic expression that sounds like the brother that he grew up knowing that just oozed the love of God into other people. And so he's calling that out. He's calling that out because he loves them. He's calling that out because he loves the church. And he's saying, church, there is so much more that God has in store for us that we can't make faith a cognitive thing. Faith is unified with action or it's no faith at all. Faith, as he approaches here, or else it is something that is dead. Now, let's not make the same mistake that the Pharisees did where we start to then look at, okay, well then we have faith of believing in something here and we have action over here. And so James is evidently looking at a group of people that are saying, we have great faith, but they had little activity. They're walking by the poor. There's no care or concern for those around them and saying, this is a mess. This is a muck. This is foolishness. Right. And so then we can't make the same mistake and find ourselves in Phariseeism where all of our righteousness is about our actions. And so by nature, please hear this, by nature, we're a people that have this Pharisee within us. And the Pharisee loves to live from the perspective of just give me a box to check. That's Phariseeism. That if I can check a box, then I've done the right thing and I'm done. If you understand that, that's my basic summary of Phariseeism. If you can understand that, then you can see Scripture being being, and Jesus' teaching spoken of in a completely different way. Because every one of us has a Pharisee. So let's just say it. You know, I've got some Pharisee in me. It's a part of my nature. And so that Pharisee within me is just always looking for a box to check. And Jesus is never looking for you to check a box. Jesus is always looking for you to dive into and to, and to find life. To dive into the stream and to be able to live a life 
with him interactively in this world and forever in eternity. It's not about checking any boxes. Jesus didn't die on the cross and, and check a box. Jesus died on the cross and brought something to fulfillment. But it wasn't to check a box. It was to offer something for you and I to be able to live in. And so we have to we have to be quick. We have to recognize that there is this desire to check a box and to move on. But Jesus great desire is to address the heart of the issue. And that's what James is doing. And that's what we have to see, because he's not saying it here, but it's absolutely inferred. And that's why we're we're looking at the at this text and, and we're unpacking this is that we have to recognize James has set this up. For this to be a mirror in your life and my life. He says it earlier in chapter one where he says, you know, a person who looks at the word, you know, who merely listens to the word and don't deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. Where's your heart? Because every one of us, whether we like it or not, we default back to let's check a box. Let's go to church on Sunday. Let's hear a teaching. Let's maybe get something from that and let's move on. But Jesus has something more in store for you. And Jesus plan is to grow your heart. I think it's easy to to read this text and to look at it and say, "Okay, if I want to be a, a good person, if I want to be known as a loving person, If I want to love, then I'm going to care for the poor. I'm going to not walk by the sister without clothes and daily bread and say, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. I'm not just going to speak and say something good to them and bless them. I'm actually going to act on their behalf. If I want to. So you could walk away from today and say, "Okay, I need to do a better job. Of actually caring for, as Steve said, you know, the, the person at, at the intersection at Glade Road in 75. You know, you know, you know, for heaven's sakes, let's give the guy a couple dollars or let's make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and be really good Christians and hand that to him when we drive by and we stop at the red light. Be good. But there's more. Right. Because this is not about being a good person. That's how we want to read it, because being a good person would invite us to be able to find a box we could check. That when we handed that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and when we, oh, and we, we were so righteous that we intentionally went to Kroger and bought a loaf of white bread and made peanut butter and jelly just for that person. Isn't that a good thing? It is a good thing, but there's something more. There's something more because this passage, James is using a term that is not just about being a good person. He's using a term, and the term is faith. So what is faith? Because faith is what is going to produce and call us to this life of good deeds. It's not just that we're being called to be a good person. Being a good person just gets settled along the way. This faith. So what is faith? I think we in Scripture we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse verse 1, to to get a definition of faith. Faith is this assurance. This Faith is a confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, verse 2. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we do not see. In verse chapter 6, a couple verses later, the writer of Hebrews says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. So if you want to please God, what do you have to do? Be a person of... Okay, let me say that again. 
If you want to be a person that pleases God, you have to be a person of. Because apart from, it's impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is a a confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see. Now, let's pair that with faith. They're supposed to be unified as hand in glove with action. A person of faith is a person who is living in a confidence of what is not immediately visibly available and an assurance that that can be visibly available in the moment, right? So obviously there's the opportunity that's a good thing to be able to go to Kroger, buy a loaf of white bread, make some peanut butter jelly sandwiches and hand them out to the, to the folks at the intersection of Glade and 75, right? That's a good thing. But there is something more that faith would require other than just the good deed, because that would be a good deed and it'd be a good loving thing to do. So go ahead and do it, right? But don't stop there. Faith is this opportunity to step into the reality of all that Jesus Christ died for you and me to have. And that was so that he could send his spirit and his spirit could come live inside you and I. And that we could live beyond the realm in which you and I have known before we'd received the spirit. Where we just see things according to our logic and our reason and our intellect. According to what our eyes see and our our senses feel. That we actually have a spirit that comes and lives inside of us and possesses ourself and wants to be Lord over our lives. That we can join God in living interactively in this world, doing the things that he wants to do and saying the things that he wants to say because his spirit reveals them to us. So there's two landscapes. There's the landscape that you and I have always known, the visible, the practical, the logical, the reasonable, and what is right that you and I think we ought to be doing. And then there's the spiritual landscape that we receive when we receive the spirit to be able to grow and learn to discern and to mature in being able to imagine and see and understand what God is doing in a moment and joining him in that work. Now, that would be faith. Joining him in the work would be the deed. So let's rewind just a little bit. Come back to a moment. A little heart check. Hopefully you feel like a quarterback sitting in a, in a room with, with coach here. Let me just ask you, are you reading that safety? Are you recognizing when he's moving the other direction or, you know, or is he coming right at the, the guy that you're looking to throw it to? Because you've got you to gotta read this moment in your life. Are you living your life in faith is the first question. Have you, are you living your life desiring to see the, the spiritual landscape and to see the work that Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God are calling you to and wooing you to and the things that he wants to say and the things that he wants to do for you to love the people around you. Because where that's not happening, then you're not even noticing there's a safety, right? And this is a corrective moment because that's the thing that Jesus Christ, he died on a cross for you and I to be saved. He also, through, through that salvation, he's also given us his, his gift. He said it is a Good thing that I go. It is better for you that I go because when I go, I'm going to send you my spirit. And so that spirit is going to be our counselor and our guide. Are we living a life of faith? Question number one. Because if we're living a life of faith, then it is absolutely natural for faith to produce a fruit. And that fruit is an action and a deed to join God in that is far beyond what you and I could do in and of ourselves. Because... You and I can make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And that's a good thing. But Jesus can transform a life. 
And are you handing out a peanut butter jelly sandwiches? Or are you looking to join Jesus Christ in changing a life? Because that's what faith and deeds begins to look like in a spirit-filled Christian. Now, in case that was too simple, let's just kind of move on into the next thing. James goes off and says, you know, you, you fools, you foolish man, verse 20, you foolish man, do you want evidence? Like, okay, contemporary version, not that we don't use fools, you know, the term fools, but he says, you, you idiots, right? You idiots, you idiotic man, what are you thinking that you can just think that you're cognitively believing God, right? But you have no actions, That doesn't at all align with the teachings and the reality of my brother who is in heaven, who is my Lord, who is our Savior, and who sent his spirit. That doesn't at all align with who he is and what he's about. Like his heart is to bring about a transformation in you and and through you, a transformation of the world and the people that you interact with. And so there's this invitation to be able to recognize there's something more. And so he's trying to make it very clear. And he's not calling the person a fool to belittle them. He's saying, this is foolish. You're being foolish when you're acting this way. Right? There's a difference in being a fool and acting like a fool. Anybody act foolish before? Okay. I may have done something foolish since I've been sitting here. Right? Right? So, he, but, you know, but he's fired up. Again, Hear his tone raising in this in this letter like this is a fired up moment. This let let me not just read this passively, because, like I said, it's easy to read this and say, OK, well, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be a good person and then go do deeds. Right. And so I need to add some deeds. I need to add a checkbox. So I check my checkbox and then I can go on. No, it is so much more. James is trying to get our attention. Church, you're not being the reality of who Christ died on the cross for you to be. I've heard that you have faith without deeds. That's not faith. That's foolishness. That's confusion. You're being deceived. Even the demons, the next verse, right? Even the demons have believed and they shudder. You're not even shuddering. You're just cognitively believing. They can do that. They can. They can. But they're not acting in obedience. They're not acting in alignment, living interactively in obedience to the teachings of Jesus Christ as you should be. Jesus' plan is not for us to check a box so we can be good people and we can show the world that we're good people and show show the world ideally that he's a good person. No, his plan is to come and just rip the whole thing open just just to pull back the layers of our heart and say, how much do you want me? How much more do you want? Because I'm infinite. How much more do you want? Again, we've got to read this as an invitation, like a mirror. And this isn't an an invitation of a mirror to look at ourselves and say, oh, my gosh, I've got a pimple. I don't want to look at I don't look at the mirror. Right. I don't have any actions or or I've been checking boxes or, you know, I don't like the, the, the value in this mirror. The value in in reflective reality of a spiritual life 
is that I don't know how we grow without there being reflection. And so thank goodness that the Lord's given us his word. He's given us his truth to correct us and to come alongside of us and to point the goodness of who Jesus Christ is. Because if you've ever looked in the mirror and saw somebody over your shoulder, like that's how we look at, at correction and, and, and spiritual growth is we, we look in this mirror and we see the, the beauty of who Jesus Christ is just right here over our shoulder. And then we look at the reality of, of maybe who we're being in the moment and we say, man, I, but I want to look more like that, right? So I grew a beard, right? I don't know about you, what you ladies are going to do, right? But I want to look more. That was a joke. Nobody laughed. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I want to look more like him. I want to be more like him. And, and the reality is, is that so, so we, we welcome with humble hearts, loving, kind, gentle relationships into our lives that desire something more for us than what we would have if they weren't there. Like, I welcome Larry to challenge and to encourage me to change. Not that he's, Larry's trying to belittle me that I did something wrong, but there's a, a coaching that, it's like, Scott, I think the, the way you, you said this, or, or, or there some, wasn't something right going in there. Like, we desire that as Christians, that we desire to look reflectively in the mirror and hear from a brother maybe what Jesus would look more like because we want to be like that. Let me just ask you, how are you doing in living your life to join God interactively throughout a day in the things that he's saying or the things that he wants to lead you to in action in the relationships that you're in? Because where we're missing that as the reality of how we're living, we're shifting now into, let me not just talk to you about what the word is saying. Let's, let's, let's try to figure out how to bring change into our life for that to be true and real within us. Where we're missing waking up each morning, each morning and looking to grow and looking to change and looking to, to get into the word and have a coaching meeting and, and looking to recognize, okay, that, that there's an opportunity for change here. It's not about the correction, it's about the opportunity of how to be better and how to grow and how to be more like him and how to have that love become real and effective in our lives. And it changed the relationships that we're in because the reality is people were walking by those that they should have compassion for and they're lacking compassion. So step number one, how do we embrace the truth of this text is that we have to desire to grow and open our hearts to the Lord to say, in order to love them, Lord, let me feel what they feel. Let me be a person of empathy. Make me a person of compassion. That when I look on their situation, I see them unclothed or unfed. That there's something in my heart that desires to identify with the place that they're in. And from that heart of compassion, Lord, let me join you in an action to express your love here on this earth. As it would be if we were in heaven. Is that doable? You see, I, I think we could just read over this text and, and, and forgive me, give me some grace in this moment, please. No judgment thoughts, right? We could maybe read over this text in the 30 seconds it took me to read. I don't know, right? And just be like, okay, got it. Heard that truth before. I know what it's about to say, right? And, and, and we could almost get bored with just reading text. For reading text's sake. Sometimes our heart can get calloused. 
and our heart just and we just kind of get bored with reading reading the truth. And and that's a that's I'm pointing that out as as a moment of correction because the reality is when our hearts are desiring to grow and to change, then that meeting with the quarterback's coach is like this. Oh, I can't wait to get into the to the to the video room and to see what I did wrong there to see how I can change because that's so life giving because I want to be a winner. I want to be on the winning team. I want to reflect the goodness of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because my life's not about my life anymore. I'm not just trying to be a good person. I'm not just trying to, to check a box. I'm trying to grow in how much I'm living interactively with my Lord and Savior and knowing him. And get this and being known by him. Now, I wasn't planning to go there, but we are. I've got time. That never happens. How? How do you get there? Repent. Invite the Lord to give you a heart of compassion. Repent. Change your mind. Change your thinking on what you imagine, how, you're, how we're going about living our own lives centered in our own selves, imagining and seeing things from the landscape of, of what we've always known, and, and take steps toward growth, inviting the Lord to direct you and to open your eyes and to open your mind and open your heart to be able to see and engage and to join Him in the, in the faith deeds that God is calling you to that are, are life-changing, not just for you, but they're life-changing for the world and the relationships that you're in, right? That we, that we look at that scripture and we invite it to be a mirror and we're hungry to have that mirror reflecting and pointing out things because where we come with a hungry heart, God's going to show up and point things out. Right. And then here's the piece that, that I wasn't going to get to that we're going to get that we're going to go there. Right. So in, in Matthew chapter seven, verse 23, I don't have it up for you on the screen because we weren't going to go there. Right. But God's had me chewing on this all week. So we're going to get there. Jesus has just gone in, in verse 21, he just goes into to saying, you know, you call me Lord, Lord, and you will enter the kingdom, but you won't enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to you to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, hear this, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, they did some good stuff. They did good things. They did powerful things. They did the kinds of things that it would seem like would require you and I to be living according to the second landscape, seeing things spiritually, casting out demons and and healing people. Like, that's powerful. That's spiritual. That's supernatural activity of things happening that took place through them. But the Lord says... You call me Lord, Lord, but I didn't know you. Not that the goal is for you to know me. That's good. That is, that is good. It's good for us to desire to know the Lord. But there's better. There's the best. And that is, in our efforts to know the goodness of the Lord, we are growing to learn to allow the Lord to know us. Now let me unpack that for you a little bit. I'm going to pack that by using this word intimacy. And this is something one of my friends said last week when I was out of town. He said they're going to have been through counseling. One of the things they learned in counseling was intimacy is into me you see. Are you coming before the Lord and saying, 
into me, Lord. I invite you to see. I invite you to look into the depths of my heart and to speak into the things that are tender, that have been hurt, that are wounded, that are sensitive. But into me, would you come and see? Because you're only going to be intimate with someone that ultimately you trust. And so are we living our life in faith to open ourselves up and to trust the Lord and say, come and into me, you can see. Lead me in the ways of everlasting. Lead me into your truth. Lead me into the life that that you're calling me to. Lead me to be a person of faith. Because as we look at and as James is speaking to, you know, imagine if if Abraham was a person of faith and did not act. Let me just let you think about that. We don't have time to go because I went into that. We don't have time to go into Genesis 22 verses 1 through 5. You can go read it on your on your own. Right? Go read it. Look at it reflectively as a mirror. Ask the Lord to speak. Is there something you want to show me here? Because this is where Abraham takes his son Isaac and he's going to go sacrifice him up on a up on a mountain because the Lord commissioned him to do so. And before he leaves in verse five, before he leaves the two servants that went with him to the mountain, to the base of the mountain, (coughs) excuse me, to the base of the mountain. He said to them, we will return. Now, he's going to sacrifice his son. But he's saying to them, we're going to return. We, not me, I, both of us are returning. Now, figure that out. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son to act in accordance with what the Lord was was calling him to do, right? In complete faith, because it made no logical, practical sense. But in faith, he was able to say before he went to go act to say, we will return. Right. That same confidence, that same reality is available to you and to me as we walk in faith, as we become a people of faith. But the faith has to have this action. Imagine if Abraham just sat in his tent and heard the word of the Lord to go sacrifice your son, said, Lord, in faith, I'm, I sacrificed the son. And never got on that donkey and never went up on that hillside and never stood in that moment. You see, faith requires risk. How often are you living according to the second landscape, risking things that do not make sense to join God with what he's leading you to? There's an invitation to look at Scripture in the mirror. Because imagine if Abraham didn't act. And he just sat there in faith, said, "Okay, I got that checked off in my mind. Imagine if Rahab took those guys in. And for heaven's sake, she lied to the people like somehow there was righteousness in telling a fib. Figure that out. Kids, I'm sorry. I didn't see kids in here. I wasn't going to say that. Right. Because that could be confusing. Don't let that be confusing. Don't lie. That's don't lie. Right. But there's this there's this righteous act that she's commended for because she was putting trust. She had heard about who their God was and she was putting trust in him. And by do so, acting righteously. Right. So she didn't just 
you know, have the soldiers come to the door and then just say, oh, they're not here, but open the door and let them come walk in. And then they get captured. Right. She was acting righteously. There was an action that she had to take in. What are the actions that you and I are living that you're going to walk out the door and look to engage the spirit of God and ask him questions and invite him to into the deeper depths of your heart and say, Lord, I want to I want to live that, you know, me. Not just that I know you, but that you know me, you know me so fully that all that I can do is just make you known among the people in my life because I'm joining you in the good works that you had intended for me to do before the creation of the world. Because, friends, where we're not living that way, then you and I can look at James chapter two in the second half of this chapter and say, hmm, that's a good word. You know, when we get bored is when we are listening to someone who is passionate about talking about what they're interested in, but we're not interested in. And we got a lot of bored people listening to a lot of sermons. And Jesus said, come on. I'm, 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 I'm leading you to the place just like, just like Moses. I'm testing your heart. I'm testing your heart. I'm calling you, I'm calling you out. I'm saying there's more in your in your heart. There are more things in there that just want you that you just want to live according to your own kingdom. But I've got this kingdom and this kingdom is inviting you to come join me. And my kingdom is going to transform the world, because if you really believe that I came in and, and died and am resurrected, then it's a game changer. And friends, the church is not living in game change mode. We're living manage the moment. What's good for me? And we're walking by the hungry And we're walking by the spiritually crippled every day and not joining the Lord to speak into their life and not joining the Lord to hear their story and not joining the Lord to be a person with a heart of compassion. It's not about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, friends. That's a good thing. But that'll take care of itself. You're not going to love someone with the heart of Christ and not give them a steak rather than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's going to be something more that God has in store for you. I'm not making it about food. I am trying to make it about living in the reality of what God's calling us to. And so we have to look at this word and say, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I don't want to just sit in church and hear another sermon and walk out of the door the same. And I can't do that for you. I can only challenge you to be responsible to take steps toward growth in living the spiritual life. Let's pray. Father, thank you how you love us, how you come alongside of us, Lord. Forgive us where we've had moments where we looked at Scripture and we're so it was such a common truth that we just skim over it rather than wrestle with, with it as a mirror, inviting us to a greater life. Thank you that there is so much more that you have in store for us, Lord, that you've called us to be a people of faith because it's impossible to please you apart from faith. That you've called us to be a people who, who have confidence in things that aren't visibly available and assurance of things that we don't yet see. And we just know because we're following you, they're going to take place. So, Lord, come. Lead us into the reality of who you're calling us to be. For your namesake, for your glory, Jesus, have your way in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Toby's going to lead us in a few moments of ministry time. And so I just encourage you just to have a moment. Maybe it's this, find something in the context of what we're talking about today. Maybe it's this moment where you just 
hold your hand. You come up forward and you kneel down and use this stage as an altar. Or you come and, and meet with one of the prayer teams that will be at either side of the stage. It's just a, Maybe it's a moment of saying, okay, I've been living my life to, to try to know you. But now I understand there's also something more in it. It's also for you to know me and me open myself intimately to you and say, come and speak to the things within my heart. Maybe you've, you've, been, you've been living under the kind of a, an umbrella of a checked box and be like, you know, I've got this whole faith thing good. I, I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and, and I believe that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But what good is that to the people that you're interacting with that are spiritually hungry and are spiritually naked and that the Lord wants to use you to clothe and to feed and encourage and to, to help grow up for them to be able to do the same in other people's lives? Faith has action, but it's not about it's not just about being a loving person. It's also about being a functioning in the reality of faith, that it's a supernatural reality of God that God's calling calling you to. So my question for you this morning, because how for us when it's about correction always starts with repentance. And that's a beautiful thing. That repentance is change your thinking. And then based on that change thinking, now you can begin changing your actions And so what is it the Lord's speaking to you today on maybe just one change that he's inviting you to? Because through that, he wants to address your heart and give you a jewel, give you a gold nugget of compassion. That you're not just acting, you're now loving. You're not just loving, you're now leading. You're not just leading, you're now being an agent in a supernatural kingdom that has eternal effect. Take the next few moments and reflect. I'll come close this again and dismiss you in a few minutes. I have offering baskets. That's one of the ways that you came prepared to, to, to worship this morning. And also on my right, your left, is, is communion. Actually, on both sides is communion. As you come and take communion, come and, and just surrender your heart all over afresh and new again today as you can every day when your feet hit the floor. His body has been broken for you. His blood has been shed for you and for me. So take in thanksgiveness and receive the goodness of what the Lord has. My challenge to you through this whole thing is that when you walk out that door, that you're not walking out the door as you do maybe every other Sunday, as I do maybe every other Sunday, but that you're walking out that door with the plan to walk in next week and to be able to recognize because you've invited the Lord to lead you to change that something different happened to me this past week because I walked out looking to apply the truth of God into my life and to be changed by it. Not just to hear a word, but to be changed by it so that when I come back here next week, in at least some way, I'm a different person. And then, friends, we'll start to be the church in a greater and greater way.